Welcome to the Newson Health Menopause Podcast. I'm Dr. Louise Newson, a GP and menopause specialist, and I run the Newson Health Menopause and Wellbeing Centre here in Stratford-upon-Avon. So today I'm very delighted to introduce to you Professor David Reed, who's a professor of rheumatology who I've become acquainted with over the last few months because some of you might know that I'm very interested in disease prevention, including osteoporosis. So welcome, David. Thanks for coming. Thank you very much, Louise. Nice to be here. So before we start talking about osteoporosis, I just thought it'd be really interesting to hear more about you and your work. And I know you've had all sorts of jobs and over the years but what got you interested in osteoporosis and rheumatology from the start? (laughs) Okay well for osteoporosis it was because when I was training as a rheumatologist I went many 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 years ago I went to Edinburgh uh, to do part of my training and there was a machine there for scanning bones Mm -hmm. it was actually a very old-fashioned technique uh, which is not used again now because it was actually gave a very high dose of radiation and nobody was exploiting or mm-hmm. uh, researching this machine. And my then professor in Edinburgh said, perhaps you would work with these physicists to work out the technique and look at the bones of people with arthritis of various sorts um, and steroid users and so on. And we, we did a lot of work on that. And that became a great interest of mine. And at the same, more or less the same time, I started becoming involved with the Osteoporosis Society, which was then called the National Osteoporosis Society, now the Royal Osteoporosis Society, and did a lot of work with them in an advisory capacity and eventually rose up and chaired the Board of Trustees at the charity. So it became a kind of passion Mm. of mine and an obsession, and I started the first uh, bone unit, bone research and clinical unit in Scotland, actually, well, Probably the second one, if I'm honest, but uh, in, in Scotland and Aberdeen, and we did a big, a lot of research in, in the field. Bit of an obsession, too much of an obsession, really, but because uh, I, I realised I developed that obsession in my very, very small children, which was right. Not, so not, always hard, as I know, was, to yes, balance family. Yes, as you know, yes, it's, you think, well, oh dear. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And now you mainly, I know you work in London, don't you? Yeah, so, I mean, I, I was basically a university, um, well, NHS and university employee all my life mm. of work. And now I'm ostensibly called emeritus professor, which supposed to mean, I suppose I have some merit somewhere, but yeah. I'm not sure what it is. But uh, so I, I, I'm not ready to give up, uh, hang up my stethoscope or my DEXA scanner yet. Yeah. So I, I basically work most of the time in London and mostly yeah. in the private sector yeah. now following my obsession with osteoporosis and prevention and treatment there. Yeah, which is so important. Mm. And and we're delighted that you're working as part of our team to report our scans Mm. for our DEXA scan here, which is brilliant. So just our bones. When people think about bones, and certainly my children, who my older two who are teenagers, think about bones as a solid structure that is just a supporting structure Mm. for our bodies. Mm. It's a bit more complicated than that, isn't it? The bones are very dynamic. So talk us through what bones Well, it it is, but basically they're the coat hanger in which we hang our clothes and and our muscles and and all the other tissues. So uh, they are very solid Mm. pieces of of kit, if you like, Mm. which are there for a purpose of, of giving us support. But you're right in a way, they're living organs. Yes. Um, so they, they turn over all the time. A small piece of bone turns over and takes about three to nine months to turn over completely and renew itself. And it's that turning over and renewal of bone 
which becomes the problem later in life. Yes. Um, and it becomes a particular problem or can become a particular problem for ladies at the menopause because... Yes the oestrogen hormones, which your listeners will be well aware of, are very protective to bone. And when they fall in concentration in the system, as happens in all ladies as they go through the menopause, Mm. unless they take HRT, of course, uh, then the bones start turning over more rapidly. And basically the forming of new bone uh, can't keep up with the breakdown of bone and they lose bone. And they lose it particularly in areas (laughs) where... The bone is kind of airy-fairy in the inside, so in the spine, for example. Right. It's where the bone looks a bit like an old-fashioned, um, what do you call these, um, chocolate bars with uh, bits in them. Crunchy or arrows yes. or whatever. So yeah. I used to say when I went to speak to lay people that um, osteoporosis bone looks like an arrow that you bought from Woolworths, uh, which is an old shop where yeah, it's yeah. very cheap. So lots of holes and not much chocolate. And, then, yeah. and that's, the, that's the problem and that's why bones yeah. crumble because yes. they, the structure, the internal structure is lost a bit mm. and they, they, they therefore give way so yeah. in, in those most severely affected. And so oestrogen is very good at building the bone, isn't it, when it's there? It, it's very important, but it, it, it really main function is actually preventing the, mm. the, the bone, the cells that break down bone from being overactive because they're called osteoclasts, as you know, yes. and, and the osteoclasts become overactive at the menopause. Without the oestrogen. With, without oestrogen. And, and it's quite a rapid decline, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, the, it, it falls by, on average, about 2 or 3% per annum in the spine, for mm. example, in the immediate post-menopause and actually slightly before the menopause period. Yes. And then it kind of slows down after the age, of, if, if people don't do anything about it, it slows down by the age of 60. Or in, so in maybe for about 10 years or so. For those 10 years, yeah. it's more active, it's breaking down mm. a bit more rapidly mm. for, for the average person. Yeah. So of course, some, people, it varies so some people are very variable, yeah. some people doesn't happen yes. and some people it happens more rapidly than yes that. and I suppose also it depends where you're coming from we don't know often what our bone density is and so if we're coming from a high level and reduce two percent we won't miss it Absolutely. whereas if we're just on the edge and lose two percent every year 20 percent over 10 years that's a lot isn't it, it it is it is a lot and those are the people who get uh, the ladies particularly of mm. course it happens in men as well but men yes. as you know just gradually fade away rather than <laughs> suddenly becoming uh, uh, menopausal if yes. you like um, so in in women that period between around the menopause and just after is very critical for the bone health. Mm. And I've read somewhere, well, I've actually I've read on the Royal Osteoporosis Society website that around one in two women over the age of the menopause develop osteoporosis, one in five men. It's very carefully crafted statistic that it's one in two women over the age of 50 will have a fracture which could relate to osteoporosis right. within the remaining part of their lifetime. And the figure for men is one in five. And that means that one in two people will get a fracture Mm. and that they're more likely to be one of those one in two if they have osteoporosis. But it doesn't mean that everybody who has one of those fractures has osteoporosis. No, so okay. it's, so yeah. it's hard to know the figures, isn't it? It, it is very hard. I think a lot of people think about osteoporosis and hip fractures, mm. but it's not just hip fractures, is it? It's, um, no, I mean, the spine fractures are the ones mm. that, that I worry about a lot yes. because they can and frequently are silent or relatively silent. Yes. And it's interesting how many people you meet, or we do DEXA scans, and where, as you know, we do here and in other mm. sites, a picture from the side, and you see 
oh, you've got a fracture there. When did you have the pain in your back? And they don't know. No. Never had any pain, yes. but I have noticed that I'm having a little trouble getting up to higher shelves in my kitchen or whatever. Yes. So they've lost a bit of height. They've got a little bit more bent. Go yes. <laughs> to the radio. This my my demonstrations <laughs> are bent and become stooped, and that's the cause for most uh, older women of older women looking stooped and yes. and having to bend forward yes. when they're walking. And that can cause quite a lot of problems, can't it? I mean, certainly I've seen lots of people uh, when I've done visits as a GP to nursing homes, people who are very stooped can affect their breathing, can affect their digestion. Yes, definitely, yeah. It's a big disability, isn't it? It, it, it is, and of course, uh, by the time it becomes critically obvious or very mm-hmm. obvious, it's not too late to do something about it. It's but harder, it's, but it's, it? it's prevention would be much better than yes. cure, and yeah. early treatment is much better mm. than trying to late treatment. Yes, and certainly when you read the figures about osteoporotic hip fractures, the cost to the NHS, it's about, I don't know whether it's two or three billion pounds a year, depending on what you read. It, it, it's astronomical, it is, isn't it? Is it is huge. And yeah. of course, part of the cost is the rehabilitation yes. cost for people that have had a hip fracture because I think the figures are one in two women and men who have a hip In fact, men are slightly worse mm. in terms of hip fractures who have a hip fracture, are less able to look after themselves yes. after the hip fracture yes. than they were before. Yeah. Of course, they're usually pretty elderly and they're pretty frail in, in other ways, but it can often be the, Trigger say, the straw, straw that breaks the camel's back, but it's not perhaps a very good analogy. <laughs> uh, but but it, it, it's the sort of thing that makes people go from just coping yes, to not, not coping. Yes, and then they're less mobile, they're more likely to pick up a chest sure. infection or a exactly, urine infection. Exactly. And, yes, and certainly we see a lot of people who, like you say, they're just about managing mm. independently at yeah. home and then they either have to have carers at home or they're going into care, um, which is costing... A lot of money for the NHS, but also for them, it's losing their independence. It is. And we we did uh, many years ago a big study to screen women at the menopause for their bones to see whether screening them and treating them at that stage with, at that point, HRT, Mm. uh, would potentially prevent those. Yes. The problem with screening at the menopause uh, is that you have to take the treatment, whatever it is, for many, many years. Yes before you get the benefits. Yes. So the costs of the screening then becomes quite high yes. for the NHS relative to the benefits. Mm. And so more recently we've been trying to work up ways as a scientific community of ways in which you can start screening rather later in life yes. uh, in people's 60s or 70s to try and, and mm. introduce treatments then. But then, of course, for the majority who don't come to your clinic, it won't be with HRT yeah. they have treatments. Yeah, so it's very hard. Osteoporosis, there's not a blood test for osteoporosis, is there's there? Not. And even just doing a normal x-ray, you can't diagnose osteoporosis. No, you said you have to lose about 30% of your bone before you can see it. Yes. Um, and uh, that's probably about right, actually. Yeah. So, so if it, someone it's, comments on an x-ray... If they comment, it, they probably have. It's they probably, probably quite have. significant. It's probably significant. That and it, well. it is yeah. one of the recognised uh, reasons, you know, that... that in the NHS, you're restricted sometimes to have a DEXA mm. scan because you've got to have a certain number of risk factors. Yes. But one of the recognised risk factors which would allow people to have it is they have a radiological, that is X-ray osteopenia. Okay, yeah. And then what other risk factors? We've talked about 
the menopause in general, mm. Mm. people, women have a reduced bone density, but early menopause is a risk factor. So women who are under the age of 45 or POI, premature ovarian insufficiency, under the age of 40. Sure, of course, so it's one in 100 women, really common. Yeah. So that's a risk factor, isn't it? Sure, people. yeah. I mean, it's, it's just they start the bones start ageing, if you like, uh, earlier. earlier. Yes. So uh, the bones are basically yes. whatever number of years before the menopause should have occurred, that already starting to go bones of 55 or whatever if they go through the menopause at 40. It's, uh, so it's, it's uh, or they start at that sort yes. of level. So it's not too surprising an early menopause no. is a risk factor. And it, the early menopause is entirely, the effect of the early menopause is entirely driven by the bone density. Mm. Some of the risk factors, for example, uh, smoking or mm. excess alcohol are only partly driven by bone density being for, lower. Also, perhaps more likely to induce falls and, mm-hmm. and structural changes in the bone. So, uh, calculating risk, wish it were a simple blood test, but there isn't. Yes. And we started many years ago just using a DEXA scan. Mm. Now we always calculate risk based on a DEXA scan plus the clinical risk factors. So people have a questionnaire, don't they, this FRAX they, they score do that we usually score, do. Yes. Um, and that's asking, isn't it, questions such as age of the menopause, whether they smoke, drinking, yeah. um, also steroids, can't they? Steroid treatment. And, and there are things, FRAX is being continuously updated mm. and... For example, one of the things that we, we were talking about earlier uh, is, is the ladies who have breast cancer who yes. are required to take specific drugs for their breast cancer. Called, they block the oestrogen. Uh, yeah, yeah, they block oestrogens. And their bone is lost very, very quickly when they start that. Quite often they have not bad bones to start with, which is good, yeah. and they can get away with it. But the bone density does fall very quickly and it would be nice to see everybody who... It's going to start one of those drugs, making sure they've had their bone density measured before they start or at the time of starting, and then you can monitor it and see what happens. But bone density, so this is a DEXA scan, isn't Mm -hmm. it? Talk us through, what's the difference between a DEXA scan and an X-ray then? Well, the DEXA DEXA scan has the word X-ray in it, so it's a dual energy X-ray absorptiometry. But instead of an X-ray... Uh, produces a picture Mm -hmm. um, directly by throwing x-rays onto Mm -hmm. a photo plate, basically. There's all sorts of modern ways of doing it digitally rather than by putting an x-ray plate. But it shows the image directly. A DEXA scan measures the x-ray beam as it passes through the patient and it counts how much of the beam is absorbed by the patient or their tissues. And then by doing two energies, you get a picture of the bone and a picture of the soft tissue. Now, the pictures are not great. They're not supposed to be there for pictures. And all of them say image, not for diagnosis. You can tell some things. So it's it's a different way. But we can use it, the image, to look at the spine. Um, And we do this here in in Newson Health. For ladies over the age of 50, we look at the spine from the side to see if there's a fracture. You can see them. You can see them quite clearly. And it's almost as good as an X-ray but at a fraction of the radiation exposure. Yes, so it's how much radiation does having a DEXA scan? It's not much. Uh, no, about a tenth. Well, it, it's it, overall by the whole thing, about the, day, the same as you get as a day of exposure in a 
moderate radiation area. Yes, yeah, so, outside. Yes, um, much less than flying over the Atlantic, for example. Yes, it's very low, so it's very safe, isn't very it? Safe. And it's um, if any of you haven't seen the machine, it's an open machine. It's sure. not going in a tunnel, is it? No, no, it's no, very, no tunnel. Quite, I just fell asleep lie. when I had one. I think it's quite relaxing. Live quite comfortably. Not not some people do fall asleep, but not many. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, how long does it take to do uh, each that? each site? Um, the ones from the side take maybe four or five minutes, mm-hmm. four minutes maybe. The ones for the hips and the spine, the hip and spine takes about two minutes yeah. uh, maximum. So, so overall, you can do the whole thing. It depends how hard you're pushing people through, but you can do it in about 25 minutes without yes. the whole procedure. And then you and get the result looking at the bone density in the spine and also the hips, exactly. don't you? Exactly. Um, why are you choosing those areas? What if someone had a fracture of the wrist? You know, lots of women say to me, well, sure, I've had a fracture would, of the you wrist. Would think, I, yeah. You would think. So... The reason the spine and the hip are used is that those are the sites where the prediction of future damage mm-hmm. is best. The forearm's not too bad from that perspective, but the forearm is much more variable about how much people lose over time, And first of all. And, and secondly, because there are lots of conditions where, you know, for example, rheumatoid arthritis, mm-hmm. which people get very low forearm density, but it doesn't mean they're density in their other sites is, is low at all. So it's, it's not a recognised site for, by international mm-hmm. re- um, definition of osteoporosis, the forearm. Sometimes used when other sites are not available, if you've got both your hips taken out of, for example. Yes, but, but, generally uh, but, but generally speaking, you don't use the forearm, just occasional situations uh, yeah. that you, you measure the forearm, but mostly spine and hip. And they're predictive of yeah, that's why they're used. Mm. The FRAX score puts the bone density of the hip into it, which means that it's not as good as the total package in predicting those who will have a spine fracture. Yes. But, you know, it's best we've got at the yeah. moment. And again, the FRAX is being amended and adjusted at the moment to try and take in some factors which will more clearly predict spine fractures as yes. well. Because that's the important thing, is trying to prevent fractures, isn't it? Is, it is, absolutely. It's really important. But not everyone can get a DEXA scan on the NHS. No, so There's not. quite, really quite strict guidelines as to who can and who can't have a DEXA scan. Yeah, most health authorities have their own mm, So it does vary, So it, it is a bit variable about who gets them done. And there's often a, quite a long waiting time despite mm. that. So, I mean, we probably have enough DEXA scanners, really, in the NHS, just about, uh, most places have it, but they tend to hone in now many of the services in people who've actually had a fracture. Mm. And fracture liaison services, people sent, uh, men and women, having had a fracture over the age of 50, are often, and should uh, always, I think, be sent for mm. a DEXA scan to determine whether they have the condition yes. or whether they're at really significant risk of having further fractures. So it's kind of secondary prevention that's being yes. concentrated on in the NHS and before thinking about primary prevention. Yeah. Which is good, which is important, but important. it would be lovely. And I know the Royal Osteoporosis Society is working very hard, isn't it, to think about preventative measures. And, sure. and the whole of the NHS, as you know, is struggling. So the more we can do preventative, sure. we want to prevent disease, not treat disease. So I think the more work we can do to prevent osteoporosis as well as other conditions, whether it's with our lifestyle or with medication or with sure. hormones, you know, everyone's different, but it's trying to 
look at our risk factors early, isn't it? So we obviously know that hormones can both prevent and treat osteoporosis, but what else can we do? What's good for eating and exercise that we should be Sure. Doing? So, I mean, the, the, the evidence that you can actually prevent osteoporosis completely or mm. complete, prevent bone loss with intensive lifestyle changes, if you like, is very limited. Now, that's not to say it's not you can't, but the problem is that, apart from anything else, that... Um, People generally, it's not women alone, in fact, that men are probably worse, yeah. are not very good at saying, yes, I know I should change my lifestyle, but uh, they don't do it. It's not, it's it's not easy. It's not yeah. easy. Yeah. You get used to living and enjoying life as a, you know, a smoker or whatever. But obviously stopping smoking is one thing. That so smoking is really is, bad for our bones, isn't it? Uh, very high alcohol mm. intake is, yes. is bad. A small amount is okay, but, you know, people are well advised to keep within the Sally Davis limits of yes. 14 units. I would, of course, say that could be a little higher. <laughs> I would say that. So that those are the negative things. Positive things is, is weight-bearing exercise. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't need to be intensive aerobic exercise. It's just basically walking or gentle jogging or, or whatever. Cycling? Cycling. I know you're a, you're a cyc- cyclist, Cycling don't you? isn't <laughs> that helpful because it doesn't weight-bear, really. No. Swimming, similarly, wonderful exercise for cardiovascular fitness and so on. Exercise, uh, biking, probably also. But it's probably not so great for the osteoporosis. And the problem is, what do we do about putting pressure on weight-bearing through the spine? That's hard, isn't it? It is very Mm. hard. I used to say it until I got into trouble for it, that, um, you know, in Scotland there's a song called you shouldn't shove your granny off a bus, which is, I keep saying, you know, it actually might be quite good for your granny just to get a few bumps on her bottom uh, by being pushed off a bus, but I think I got into a bit of trouble. So you think that's that. ideal Not perhaps, it, but, but no. we, we are really <laughs> wanting to know how you stress the spine, spine yes. uh, and it may be bouncing up and down on a ball or, or something, mm. but we just don't have the evidence base exactly how you can keep that spine bone. But being um, active... And it won't do any harm and it may, it may help yeah. you. Okay. And so, you know, I do advise my osteoporosis patients to go to Pilates and body balance mm. and so on and at least keep the muscle strength yes. there. Muscle uh, strength and muscle build does work in, in cahoots with yes. bone. And that's really important um, not to forget the muscles, isn't it? Because it is. As we age, men and women, we develop something called sarcopenia, which is loss of muscle mass, isn't it? And so without the muscles holding our bones, Mm. also we're more likely to fall if we've got weaker muscles. So any exercise is good, good. isn't it? But weight bearing. um, And then what about vitamin D, the recommendations for vitamin D? So vitamin D, uh, you know, vitamin D is almost a universal vitamin now and everybody, not everybody takes it, but an awful lot of people. Mm. There is good evidence that you need a bit more vitamin D than generally we get mm. just from the sunlight and from our diet in, in the UK. And it's particularly the case in my part of the UK, in the northern part of Scotland and in the northern part of the UK, as opposed to the southern part, mm. where we just don't get enough sunlight exposure in the winter months. It doesn't do anything yeah. in the winter months because the wavelength's the wrong mm. wavelength. So you, you need to build your stores. And that means that we do need probably to take a little bit of extra vitamin yes. D. Personally, I don't. I should, probably should, but I don't. But mm. recent coma advice, the nutritionary um, mm. advice, was that people would need a supplement of four, or be, should be taking 400 international units per day. Well, actually, I didn't say that's really quite difficult to get from your diet, so yes. you're probably going to have to take a supplement, yeah. and probably most of us should take 400 a, a day 
in the winter months. And if you've got low bone density, if the bone density is low, I, I advise a 800 to 1,000 yes. international yes. a day. totally. I mean, I think it's really important because in the past we used to be able to prescribe vitamin D and, and sure. certainly a lot of health authorities are saying we can't prescribe it anymore because of costs. So it's really important that people buy it, vitamin it is. It is, D it's supplements. Cheap. And it is and, cheap. And you don't, you don't, of course you don't know exactly. You know, if you t- buy a capsule that says it's got 800 in it, it might have 600 or 1,000. It's not like a pharmaceutical grade no. product because yeah. the quality of testing as to how much is actually in it will be it will be the right yes. thing but how much is it's hard to know but, but you know 800 to 1000 that's why I say thousands you can't right. overdose on vitamin D well you can it, that's, that's part okay. of the problem so you know there's lots of things about people with multiple sclerosis or whatever mm. that, yeah, and people hear these stories and start taking what we might be called industrial doses of vitamin D. And actually, there's a little bit of evidence that too much vitamin D, especially if used in in big bursts all Mm. at once, actually make people more prone to falls. It's only just coming, and we we need to prove it yet. But my argument is, well, what's the point in taking the risk? Because you don't need that amount for a majority of people. But most people taking 800 800, over the winter, 1,000 is fine. It's these mega doses. Some people are taking 20,000 international units a day. So you should not be doing that unless it's under medical advice. And and there might be some medical advice. And sometimes there are the odd person who... One of the causes for osteoporosis, which is not in, uncommon when we is is people who have a gluten sensitivity of celiac disease. Celiac, yes. And quite often it's they don't realise and, yeah. and they, until they've had a bone density measurement, they suddenly, yeah. oh, my bone's very low, I'm surprised. And, yes. and then it, they maybe have a vitamin D measured and it's extraordinarily low. Yeah. They think, oh, all right, maybe I had that for quite some yes. time. And I just didn't realise and we just thought... But the tummy upset yeah. and uh, nothing. And, and vitamin D deficiency is something we see more and more because we're using so much more sun cream. We're covering ourselves indeed, up. In indeed, the indeed. 70s, when I said when I was growing up, we would just go out in the sun and sure. God, we even wear any sun cream. Well, exactly. So and in, if we in, did, it was factor two or four, not not the exactly. So I mean, it, 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 it's it's obviously you, you your um, exposure from the sun has to be measured if you like. Yes. Uh, has to be uh, limited uh, in some ways, but 20 minutes outside in the summer months with a reasonable amount of skin exposed is probably going to be okay to keep your levels up. But uh, skin cancers are a major issue Mm. and you shouldn't overexpose to vitamin D. It's difficult, isn't it? Trying to balance. It's difficult to get that right. Certainly vitamin D. And then what about calcium in our diets? Is that Yeah, so calcium, I mean, again, yes. But again, it's a question of how much. How yes. much is enough and how much do you really need more? Yeah. And our guidelines now say between 700 and 1,000 milligrams a day, which if you were taking it only in milk would be a pint and a half of milk a day. Right. not suggesting anyone would want to take a pint okay. and a half of milk, but that gives that an idea give you, of what gives it, you how yes. much. So 700 milligrams of a pint of milk, mm. roughly speaking. People that are taking no dairy product or dairy alternatives, so because all of the dairy alternatives, oat milk, all these sort mm. of things, are supplemented with calcium up to the yes. same sort of level as milk, soya milk, and all that sort of stuff. So it doesn't matter if they're not taking their dairy in dairy form uh, because they're supplemented. Yeah. But anybody who's not taking any dairy, no milk, no cheese, no fish. Oily fish has uh, got a good source, or fish has got a good source of calcium, particularly the bones and small fish. Yeah. Uh, anybody who's not taking any of that stuff, total vegans, 
have low calcium intake. So they should then they take should a be taking a supplement. supplement. Yeah. And there's actually a very good, very simple, well, relatively simple calculator on the it's actually on the University of Edinburgh website. If you just put in online calcium calculator into Google, you'll find this thing in the Edinburgh website. And you can calculate how much you're taking in your diet. Which is really useful because I think people do sometimes overestimate what they're having. Yes, they do. It has to be regular. And, and it's, it's quite straightforward to mm. fill it in. And I, I get even the patients I'm trying to see quite quickly, I'll just send it to them and they send, send me back the result and I'll tell you how much yeah. to take. Yeah. It's, it's better than just taking it. Yes. stab at it and I think that uh, it's better just to take it in the diet and if you need a bit of a supplement you can get a yeah I think so and I think that's the same with a lot of supplements isn't it if we can eat healthily it's yeah. better for so many other things not just sure. our bones but totally that's really key and again the, the reason for not over uh, you know doing it and, and taking too much calcium is again a bit subtle but again there's a little bit of evidence that those older people who are taking high doses, really high doses of calcium, either in their diet or mostly supplemented, may have a little bit higher risk of heart problems. Yes. Because the calcium gets, perhaps gets yeah. deposited in their, their vessels around their heart, which is not Yes, not I think the, the, the evidence is limited, but it's still there it's and limited. suggests there might be just, something. So It's just, you know, when you don't need it, there's no point. Absolutely. So if someone wants to take a supplement, for their bones, it's better to take vitamin D and eat calcium rather eat than calcium, but take take a supplement if they need it. Yes. If, they, if their yeah. their dietary habits don't allow them or yeah. don't, they don't want to. Yeah. So great advice. Yeah. So we've gone through quite a lot. There's still more, I'm sure, that we can talk about. So I might have to lure you back in to talk lovely. again. Very nice. But um, it, it's been really useful, and I think hopefully that's given people a chance to reflect about their bone health and their bone density, osteoporosis risk factors. So before we finish, David, do you mind just giving three take-home tips? So for people who are thinking now about their bones, what should they be doing? I think there's no point in thinking about them too much when you're in your 20s, but if you're, when you're in your 20s, you should be doing the right lifestyle mm. things, taking plenty of weight-bearing exercise, yes. getting outside and enjoy the sun in those summer, mm-hmm. summer months when you can yeah. with, without overexposing. So that's for younger people. Yeah. For women and uh, around the menopause, for me, it would be wise if they all thought about their bones and started thinking about it because they're going to lose some. Yeah. They're going to lose some. And they, to have, a, have it measured and to have the risk measured at that time makes sense. They won't yes. be able to get that on the NHS unless they've got significant risk mm-hmm. factors. So, and that's unfortunate, but uh, for me, it makes, makes good yeah, sense. Absolutely. And, and then for the older person who either has it or, or is very concerned that they might have it, it's, again, it goes back to lifestyle advice, but also being careful that then, and mm-hmm. making sure that they're not doing things that make, make them more prone to falls and trips and so on. And uh, that is a very straightforward thing to avoid, but it's not something we, we do. And so for, for carers, if you like, I mean, mm-hmm. to, when, when we're looking after older people, we should be sure there's not loose cables that you've got right in front of you uh, <laughs> lying across the floor and uh, because you, you do I, I know myself you yeah. tend to fall over things yeah. more easily and uh, you're not paying attention so it's it's making sure that the you know the carpets are not loose and, and you're not likely to fall and just avoiding them so I think the key the key from all of this is prevention prevention um, whether it's preventing your bone loss or preventing a fracture is really key so sure Thank yeah. you. That's been really interesting. So thank you ever so much for coming up from London today. Great Thanks, pleasure. David. Thank you very thank much. You. Nice to see you again.
For more information about the menopause, please visit our website www.menopausedoctor.co.uk. Thank you.